notion that moms are always doing everything for everyone else has long been an accepted and expected reality for moms. And many try to live up to this impossible demand, this impossible dream. But today's guest questions this pursuit. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. I'd like to introduce you to today's guest, Nataki Lee. Nataki, welcome to Mind Talk. Thank you, Dr. Brewer. Thank you for having me today. Now, Nataki, I'd like to start with asking you a little bit about you. You have a concern and there's work that you've been doing, but let's start a little let's start with your beginnings. Tell us about where you were born and what your experiences were as a little one growing up in terms of mothering. Uh okay, so I was born in Washington DC. I was born at Providence Hospital. Um I the story is that my father wasn't ready for children. So he didn't show up at the hospital to collect my mother and me. Uh, instead, I went home with my grandmother and my uncle. My uncle and my grandmother came to pick my mother and me up from the hospital and brought us home. And my grandparents' home was my home uh, for for the first 10 years of my life, more or less. And um, I lived on a street that was full of grandmoms and granddads. I, I, I think that I knew everyone on that street. I was totally loved on by everybody. Um, I called my grandfather Nana for years, uh, actually. Uh, I called him Nana. I never knew that it meant granny or grandmother. <laughs> and so perhaps... You know, I remember when I was about three or four and I was following him in the grocery store and he, I was following him around saying, Nana, Nana, I wanted his attention. He finally took me into an aisle and said, stop calling me that. <laughs> and it wasn't until college I realized, oh, I'm calling this man a grandma. But he, you know, that was the only time I remember he was frustrated with me. Other than that, you know, he just welcomed the the name and I'm the only granddaughter the only grandchild that called him that too. Ah. <laughs> and it, uh, yeah it sounds like so you had granddad you had grandmom and you had mom I had mom mom was definitely um around and she was doing a lot of different things so my I remember for a long time thinking that she was my sister and my grandparents were my parents ah. uh so I I had um, a very strong connection with them, with my grandparents. And then there was uh, the the grannies next door, and they watched me. Uh, so I had grannies on both sides and across the street from my 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 real granny and my real grandfather. So I had a lot of grandparents, a whole grandparent support system, and uh, it was lovely. I I that was my safe space. It it sounds like it was very supportive and very loving. As a little one growing up, did you have a sense of what you wanted to do with your life or who you wanted to be? Uh any were there any was there any guidance along those lines? Sure. Uh I had three things that I was going to be when I grew up. I was going to be a 
pediatrician um, because I really enjoyed children. Even as a child, I enjoyed children. Um, I was going to be a pe- uh, veterinarian because <laughs> we always had a dog. My my uh, my grandfather, I think it was my grandfather, who put out traps for the stray cat. And either my mom or my grandmother and I would always free the cats from the from the cages. <laughs> my grandfather was most upset, but you know we were we were freeing the animals. We were letting them go off and you know be free. Um, my grandmother fed the squirrels all the time, so every year there was an Oscar the squirrel. Uh, so I grew up to really love all animals, and then. Between those, you know, hours of being with animals and, you know, with children, my medical career, I knew I was going to be a dancer, a a ballerina, and I was going to be Judith Jameson. Her picture, you know, was across uh, over my bed for years. Judith Jameson uh, was it for me. So those are the three things that I knew I was going to do. I was going to grow up and be all three of those at the same time. So a, a dancing pediatrician veterinarian. That's quite impressive. Yes. <laughs> For those folks listening who may not be aware of who Judith Jameson, what she represented to you and certainly to the world, tell us, a, a, give us a thumbnail sketch of Judith Jameson. She is a black woman who danced, but she looked like a a black woman. She, she. I went to um, a ballet school here in D.C. and the executive director. At some point, the executive director said, "Well, I would never be a ballerina because my body type, because I'm a black, young black girl, and I will become a a black woman. And we have too much butt and too much breast. We ha- we're not the type to dance. And Judith Jameson was not, you know." a prima donna, you know, real thin ballet dancer. She had curves, and she wore her hair short. Um, she didn't pull it back in a bun. She had a nicely, you know, neat little fro. And uh, and she, oh, gosh, she was, I can't think of the name of her signature piece where she's dressed in white. Oh, yes. Wait in the water. yes. And she was an extraordinary dancer. An extraordinary dancer who, who did at some point become um, uh, creative director for many um, uh, ballet schools, actually. So, yeah, she, she broke the mold. She was the first Misty Copeland in my, in, well, as far as ballet goes. Yeah, she was, she was before. She was the mother of black women coming to ballet and um, and setting our our plies and our tendus in on the stage for us as women of color with not the typical ballerina body and hair. Quote unquote typical ballerina body and hair. And Quote of course, yeah. she was um, a uh, uh, an important part of the Alvin Ailey. Uh, Thank dance you. group. Yes. You're welcome. Happy to oblige. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you were going to be Judith Jameson, a vet and a pediatrician. 
Did you decide at any point as you were growing up that that was a, just a tad bit ambitious? Maybe you couldn't be all those <laughs> things really... at once? Uh, it, it did dawn upon me. Ah, oh, good. At some point. <laughs> it, it did. It did dawn. I, because of the director at the ballet school, I definitely lost a little faith, sure. a little, you know, confidence. Uh, and I ended up going to uh, another ballet school that was all African-American girls and teachers. But there was something, you know, there was a little death that came to um, me when I was told I would never be able to to do this on a big stage and have audiences. Um, so I didn't, I didn't pursue it any further. I, uh, my mother put me into African dance, um, and <laughs> and it was just frustrating from that point on because the teacher would always say, "Oh yeah, you you dance ballet because you know ballet you're upright, you're 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 straight up, you're straight, you're there is no bend or you know flexed foot." And African dance, you are more earthy to the ground, and you, you know, you're not so stiff. You move, and you you move in circles, and and um, and it was very difficult for me to break out of the ballet mode, you know, of dance. You know, straight legs. I even got kicked out of a tap dancing class because of the straight leg piece. It was so ingrained in me the ballet that I was, you know, trying other ways of dancing, and people would immediately go, oh, you're a ballerina. And that was difficult, because I was already told I wasn't a ballerina. So, so that was how I narrowed my list down. All right, so then you um, only had two careers to worry about. Right, and then, I, you know, I, I enjoyed animals, but not that much. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It just kind of became clear that, you know, I like them, but I I don't like them that much to want to work with them. Um, so by default, it became a pediatrician. Folks, sure. you're listening to Mind Talk. We'll be right back. Um, what ended up taking place of dance in my life was um, music. So my mom is a concert pianist, and um, and there was always competition between my getting attention from my mother, the piano, and me. For a long time, that was my sibling rivalry there, the piano. Um, and so I, I took piano, but I really hated it. And one day she says, we are going to play the viola. And she put me in D.C. Youth Orchestra, and I fell in love with the viola. Um, But I didn't want to make it a a career. I just really enjoyed playing it. And one of my first jobs was when the mayor, actually the mayor, um, Marion Barry's first um, year doing the uh, summer youth program, summer job program here in Mm -hmm. D.C., my job was 
being a teacher's assistant for viola for string instruments at the Levine School of Music. Interesting. And uh, I enjoyed working with the children. Um, then when I was about 20, and you know, and I had been babysitting prior to that, um, but working in a classroom with children was great. And then I was a camp counselor over in Montgomery County, Maryland. Uh, our camp director got sick and she couldn't continue the work. And so they gave me the job wow. of being the camp director at the age of 20. So wow. I was the youngest in the whole um, program. And I loved it, and the parents loved me. Um, it was an opportunity to be really creative because we had an outdoor camp, <laughs> it was a playground, and it was me and a few other counselors and children. So it, it was always challenging to come up with something new and fun and safe every day, but it was, it was great. It was a wonderful experience and um yeah i thought totally i could do this pediatrician job and uh and then that went away too uh-huh so so yeah li little by little like most human children all those jobs you were going to do all at once kind of faded yes into what oh into what well, now I am a postpartum doula, or I, I say a traditional postpartum doula. And, and what does uh, that, that mean? That is a woman. Okay. Yeah. The the woman who takes care of um, newborn mothers. Newborn mothers being women who just had a baby, and so they're in that first uh, 30, 42 days of being a mother. And my job is to help new mothers recover quickly and properly, safely, um, so that she can take care of her baby and her new family and enter back into, you know, pre-baby life tasks or chores or life in general. Just be able to return to her life. And that to say that her pre-baby life is going to look like the exact same thing as her post-baby life. Uh, just be able to pick up some of those things that she was doing before she had the baby, move back into it with ease and with health. Uh, and uh, that's my job, to help her transition into that, again, that healthy, easy life with a baby. Well, healthy I get. Easy, not so much. <laughs> Mm, no. <laughs> no. One of the no. One of the points. And, and I should change that. I always I say easy. I really mean simple. Make it more simple. Gotcha. Uh, I think easy is very different. And so yeah, I have to. I always tell people it could be sweet and simple. It's not going to be easy. So. I correct myself. One, yeah. one of the things that you uh, have talked about is the fact that certainly women often believe they should be everything to everyone. 
And women of mm-hmm. color very often have this sense that asking for help is just not what you do. You just suck right. it up and move along and just do the 4,200 tasks that you have that day. And then the next day you do the 4,500 tasks that were left over from the day before. Mm-hmm. What's it, it sounds like your role, though, is to be helpful, to ease the transition. Um, that's what you're describing. And yet, again women so often think that that's not okay and uh, are told that it's not okay and are told to just people have babies every day, have your baby and go back to work. Get over it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> you just had a baby. Don't worry about it. You know, it's not like heart surgery or anything. And we really don't understand what's going on with our bodies when we say that. We really don't get what's happening with our bodies with our mind you know we don't we as a society we focus so much on our external that we can't see what's going on on the inside so it just doesn't make it we don't make that connection and we've seen our mothers push through and our grandmothers push through and we've heard the stories of our great grandmothers pushing through i feel like i'm a little bit of an exception because um I never heard about my great-grandmother pushing through. Uh, she was one of the very few stories I've ever heard of a black woman being, you know, never having to work. Uh, she had five children. Uh, my grandmother was the youngest. And my great-grandfather had a, a store. They were in um, Goldsboro, North Carolina. And he had a store, and he came home, take care of the children, you know, wear your beautiful hats on Sunday. Uh, she, you know, she 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 kind of was that made woman. And during the Depression, uh, my great-grandfather, I understand, uh, took care of a lot of people in the community. So he was feeding people, you know, from his store, from um, the store and bringing food home and feeding people in his neighborhood. Wow, and, amazing. Uh, Nataki, I got to tell you that having five children and staying home to take care of them, that sounds like work to me. <laughs> it is. I have, I have four children, and it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's, it's, and I'm glad you're bringing that up because, you know, she, I think, she stayed home. She took care of the, the people that she gave birth to, that she brought into the world. And... um and that was her only job. That was it. And it is a job. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it doesn't pay you um, dollars, but it, it, it does pay in so many other ways. And yet you are giving so much of yourself day rise, day set. It's a job. And we don't give much consideration we only focus on the ones that are bringing the dollars in we don't consider the job that is taking i mean i i joke it's a joke but i do say you know and i am bleeding for you all you children you people that i have here you know you lived up inside of me for you know 280 days and then you come out and 
And then we have to work on this relationship. You know, I have to learn your language. You have to learn my language. And then I have to feed you. And my body is doing all of that work to feed you, to nourish you. You know, who's going to feed me? It's, it's so big. And yet we minimize it because it doesn't bring a dollar into the house. I just, it, 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 my grandparents, my great-grandparents really understood the job that she had um, taking care of these five people. And I say people because that's what they are. They right. are, you know, they don't stay babies for long. They become people with opinions. I mean, that, that alone is a lot of energy <laughs> when, you know, you're you're trying to have a conversation with a three-year-old and they have an opinion about whether this is a dress or a shirt. Absolutely. And not only do they have an opinion, but they are going to hold to that opinion. Fact has nothing to do with anything. Their opinion is theirs. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and you have to have the energy to work with these people. You have to have it because... Um, you know, they, they, when I, I have four, and I actually have, I, so I am a mother of five. I lost my third baby. Oh, no. And, and, and I learned, this is when I learned that postpartum was really a very vulnerable and super fragile place. It's where we get, where we reset, um, where we where our bodies and our minds, our emotions, our spirits need this time to renew and restore. This is this is a time that that postpartum period, that forty two days right after you have a baby, that's your time to really get um, quiet with yourself and to do some repair. Your body needs to repair. Um, I didn't know this. I was told by my doctor that, you know, you just we'll just go in. Baby has stopped developing at four months. And, um, you know, you'll just go in, get a DNC, and come on out of the hospital. Don't worry about the fetus. Um, and go on about your life. And I thought, that doesn't sound right to me. Right. <laughs> that doesn't jive with me at all. Because I had already started the work. My body had already started to work Absolutely. to connect with this baby to, you know, I'm sick. So definitely your body's already doing the work. It, it goes into automatic, must make a perfect environment mode for this new person. So your body's already moving, doing what it needs to do to create this perfect environment to grow a person. And when things don't go according to plan according to the 280 day the full term pregnancy you know your body goes into shock uh, what just happened how do we recover from this what what do we need to do um, so my my body and my mind I felt were not connecting sure. at that time I, I really couldn't wrap my head around this losing this this person and um we had named her and everything. We were all excited. Um, and then, um, you know, to hear the news that she's not developing, that she doesn't have a heartbeat, um, and we need to take this this fetus out of you. 
I, I wasn't okay with that. I wanted to allow my body to sync up my, with my mm-hmm. heart and my head. And, and with um, your spirit. And my spirit. And I wanted to honor this life. I mean, I, I, I really felt like this, this person, I already have a connection here. I'm already doing, you know, work here. I'm already a parent to this person because I'm, I'm, you know, I can't, I can't just discard <laughs> this part of me. So, um, did you have help or support as you went through the, the quite frankly, the grieving and the healing process? So not as much as I would have wanted, and not as much as I know now what I needed. Um, I, I lost the baby in our our home where we were living at the time um, because I, again, I wanted my body to sync up. And so my body let go when my body was ready to let go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I almost bled to death. I ended, my husband came home um, and found me lifeless. So he rushed me to the hospital and I had two blood transfusions. And um, by this time, I was the caretaker, caregiver for my grandmother, who had been so much a caregiver for me mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, she, she, I was her caregiver, so I, I couldn't be there for her. Um, my mom and I, by this time, were estranged, so she wasn't there to support me. I don't have a relationship with my father, so he wasn't there to support me. My grandfather had been gone, and he died in 96, so he wasn't there. Um, it was just my husband. And he was grieving, was too. Dead. And he was grieving, too. And I, I recall one day going to church, and, I, and by this time I already had my two boys. Um, so we were all in the car going to church, and it was a beautiful day. There was not a single cloud in the sky. The sky was, you know, just super blue. I remember it being incredibly beautiful, and I just couldn't stop crying. Yes. I couldn't stop this this feeling of being eaten up. Just the, I, I don't even really have words to describe the the hole that was literally physically eating me, you know, crunching down on my bones. It was dark and it was painful. And we arrived at the church and, um, and we were met at the front door by um, a couple of parishioners and I don't know what happened or what they said. Oh, I was still showing. I still looked like I, you know, uh. Uh, my, my abdomen was still full looking. So uh, yeah, they made mention of the baby, and I just fell to pieces right there on the steps. And then that, and my husband, I remember, you know, in my periphery, he was just kind of standing shell-shocked himself while I crumbled into somebody's arms. And uh, what they did is they sent us down to a, a room in the church, and we sat there, he and I. The children went off to Sunday school. My husband and I just sat there realizing this was the first time that we that he was feeling it uh, so i'm you know mm-hmm. i'm voting for the uh birth doula the traditional postpartum partum doula and the listening lady can i have all three yes 
yes. Yes, all three of us need to be there. And that's the, you know, my last point, you know, really quickly is that in other cultures, like Native American culture, um, tribes will say that women giving birth to a baby often are going up to heaven to receive their baby. And they need a group of gentle, strong, strong, gentle women to bring them back to earth because you can get stuck in the heavens. And um, a group, not just one, but a group of women who are going to be strong and grounding and gentle as you go through this transition. So I say, yeah, to all three. You know, and then some. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, I mean, as our time winds down today, and to me, the time went really quickly. Um, let me know, let us know how people who want to know more about what you're doing can be in touch. Thank you. Well, right now I am working on a website because, as you can tell, there's a lot that I want to say. So creating something that is easy um has been difficult for me. Easy to digest has been difficult for me. So the best way to get in touch is by email. My email address is thrivemotherlove at gmail.com. Terrific. And I know we will have you back on Mind Talk if you are willing to return. Of course, yes. I enjoy this time together. And, and, um, and it's always so much to talk about when... For me, when talking about um, new mothers, and I say newborn mothers, I have a teacher in Australia, and that's her word that she she's coined, newborn mothers, because um, the creator becomes the created, and um, she too, just as her newborn is vulnerable in this world, she too is just as vulnerable. So I have more I would love to talk about. Wonderful. Uh, and we regards to newborn mothers. We will have you back talking about newborn mothers. And folks, thank you for joining us on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a mental health, medical health, or other professional. You can always listen to Mind Talk on demand at M Y N D T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. I'd love to know where in the world you are as you're listening today, so do send an email to me at Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, then it's unacceptable. You take care.
Nataki, as you were describing the process, the Malaysian process, I can actually feel my own body feeling more calm and feeling more relaxed. And and then I think mm. about what happens in America where you have a baby on Monday and if it's really complicated, you get to stay in the hospital till Wednesday, maybe. And then you're right. you're back home and you're supposed to be doing what you do why is the Malaysian approach and clearly it's important and valuable to you you are now trained in it why is that in your view so much healthier and and more profound in a positive way than what we do here in America Malaysia is the lead uh, global leader in healthcare right now they're doing all sorts of wonderful things, you know, tourism, uh, going over to Americans, uh, just Europeans, closer medical professionals are going to Malaysia to study their their approach to medicine, to health. And um, Malaysia has the lowest rate of postpartum depression and anxiety in the world. Wow. Um, they're like at 3%. Uh, so... For me, that's enough. Like, you know, going into the herbal compress, I mean, it does amazing things. You know, it helps the circulation. It helps, like you said, you know, make you feel more calm. But, you know, dealing with these things early on, um, as opposed to six weeks later, which is what we do in our country, uh, really makes a huge difference because, again, your body has, 280 days of shifting and changing and, and realigning, aligning, um, you know, throwing off different balances, your home, hormonal balances. Everything is, you know, moved around to create space for this person to enter into the world. Once that person enters into the world, your body has 42 days to optimize this healthy, this healing process. 42 days. And it's a natural you know, when we give birth, it's traumatic, but it's a natural trauma. As, um, you know, we see gazelles giving birth in the wild, in the bush, and they they birth that baby and, you know, get the placenta off of the, the amniotic um, sac off of the baby, and, and um, they birth the placenta. They shake it off, shake it off, shake it off, uh, shake off that trauma. And the baby, you know, has to lay there for a while and so they have their own little process of dealing with the trauma that childbirth um, brings but then they've kind of got to pull it together and get back out there before they get captured by a lion mm -hmm. and that's their process I mean so it's it's a much more abbreviated process but they have to bring their nervous system down we get stuck in the, the fight or flight pattern if we can't bring our nervous system down. So that 42 days is for human mothers is like the, you know, four hours that gazelles have after they have a baby. It's that optimizing that time to heal and repair and to bring your nervous system down so you can get back out there and do what you need to do to live your life. 
I, I would think as I'm listening to you describe the Malaysian approach that a, as mother is feeling more cared for and cared about, that it can actually create an environment within her where she feels safer and more secure in terms of caring for her baby. I mean, that's the whole point is to help mothers get to that place where she can care for the baby. As a postpartum part doula in, in our society, I find when I've worked for agencies, I am hired to go to take care of the baby. I'm hired to take care of, you know, to sit at the baby's um, bassinet for six, seven, eight hours and take care of the baby. And that's not, that's not the way we're... I, in my opinion, that's not how we want to take care of our, our children. We want that, that bond. We want to bond with our babies. We want to understand when they're crying, what that cry is uh, you know, communicating with us. We want to understand our people so that as we get older, there's a, um, there is a postpartum doula, um, Ayurvedic postpartum doula, and Isha Oaks is her name, and her famous quote, and I'm sorry, I'm not I'm going to butcher it, but in essence it is the first 42 days of your baby's life sets the stage or foundation for the next 42 years. And hmm. that is profound. It's not just you know, we're looking at 42 days you know, to sleep in, <laughs> you know, to do nothing. I think a lot of moms think that we're doing nothing. And your body is doing an enormous amount of work to repair itself and to restore itself so that you can have not just a relationship with with your, your um, child, but also a relationship with the people around you and your relationship with yourself. It's about being healthy with, you know, with yourself, your child, your partner, with your community. Um, one of the things that uh, Chinese medicine and Malaysian medicine is um, pulling from both Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine. And um, the thing about Chinese medicine is that I love is that it's, um, it's about connecting with the natural world. We are all part of the natural world. And so we all have to reside here together in harmony. And how do we do that if our mothers are not being taken care of? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's where it starts. We have to take care of our mothers so that the mother, when we focus on her body, um, her pelvic floor needs strengthening and, um, you know, the fat that her body uh, needs to lose, you know, there's unwanted fat that we don't need to have after having a baby and lose that. So we're not facing obesity or oh, getting nourishing meals in her so that um, she's not facing diabetes, that so her body understands how to break down these sugars, you know, how to break down the fat, and it's not um, feeling depleted, feeling like it's starving, and so it starts doing its own thing to compensate. We we want to get nourishing and warm foods in her so that the body, her body just understands it's being taken care of. And her mind, that's why we have so much, we see so much depression and anxiety because her mind is flying away, is <laughs> stuck in that 
that net of anxiety, that net of fight or flight. And we want to calm her down. We want to bring her some nourishment, some grounding, so that she, like you said, feels safe and feels whole and feels nourished and like she can be vulnerable in this time. Because there is going to be a day where she needs to take care of that baby and be strong and fearless and you know, go right. out there and take care of, you know, herself and, and this other person. But right now, we want her to just focus on taking care of herself. I, and, hear, you, um, I hear you talking I about think, different kinds of doulas. If one wants to uh, access the services of a doula, how, how do you do that? How do you find one? How do you find one that's a good fit for you? And how do you know mm. what kind of approach is best suited for you? I know I've only asked you five questions at once, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I wanted to be three things at once. So well, there you okay. go. All right. Um, finding a doula is actually pretty easy nowadays. I think, uh, you, you know, there, there's so many um, websites that are for, you know, full of doula listservs, um, okay. contacts. And um, you, first of all, want to know if you want a birth doula and or a postpartum doula. Birth doulas often do postpartum work, but their, their work um, as a postpartum doula um, is is different because they they're still um, on call. They still need to you know be to show up and and be there for a baby that's coming into the world. So they um, often don't see postpartum clients or patients as long as women who are just postpartum doulas. Okay. And um, the the trend is. Postpartum doulas often are um, hired to take care of the baby, to do light house cleaning and um, cooking, which are all very important. Uh, those are important pieces, but it's not it's not very common to find a traditional postpartum doula who's actually doing the hands-on work to take care of your body. So I think the best way to approach, you know, have hiring doulas is one, setting up a postpartum plan. Like people do birth plans all the time now. And they want to, you know, birth the baby in the water. They want to have hypno babies program, you know, um, they want a midwife. They don't want a midwife. They want to do it at home. I think that's becoming more um, acceptable and talked about. Postpartum plans are not discussed so much. It's true. And I think it's really important when you're looking for a postpartum doula, knowing what um, what you want in postpartum, uh, that 42, that 30 to 42 days of healing, what you really need going on in your life. Right now, most women get a little anxious, and so they leave the house in two weeks, and and uh, you know, have to go for a walk. Um, but I think that often, just because they don't have that support, so again, your mind is doing a lot of moving. Um, is is 
it's uh, not calm. And uh, putting in place, how am I going to have food, for example, meals uh, come to me for the 30 days, not two weeks, 30 days. Mamas just don't need to think about cooking. 30 days, just don't worry about the cooking. So who's going to cook for you for 30 days? And it doesn't have to be just one person. Um, it could be a, a various people, including your postpartum doula, finding one that likes to cook. I kind of like to cook. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but there are doulas that are really excellent um, in, the, in the kitchen. And, uh, and then finding doulas who, um, postpartum doulas who are really, I call them late listening ladies. Okay. Um, because, you know, after you have a baby, you, you're just overwhelmed. And I don't know, you talk about your birth and it went great. No, it didn't go great. You know, you just kind of, your, your brain, again, is, is trying to process all of this. So, you know, they're, I call them listening ladies instead of postpartum doulas. These are the ladies that come over and just listen to you. Listen to you cry and laugh and, you know, be angry, whatever it is that comes up for you. And I think that's hugely important, but we, we don't give it much consideration. Absolutely. Those feelings are real, though. Absolutely. And and I would suggest that having somebody who can be that person in your life, regardless, is regardless of whether you are having uh, a postpartum doula, a birthing doula, everybody mm-hmm. who has a child really needs to have what you describe as a listening lady um, or maybe a man. I don't know. Um, but, um, to talk about, to express the huge range of feelings that come up after you've done something so phenomenal as to carry a real live human being inside of you. And now it's not. And there's just so much that, that comes up that, as you say, people don't allow themselves to feel even though they feel them. Uh, don't allow mm-hmm. women to uh, express, even though, again, they're, they're so clear and so normal and so natural. And even the idea of expressing anger. You know, very often, yeah. uh, you know, women in general aren't supposed to be angry. I mean, it's not as bad as it used to be, but women in general are just supposed to be not angry. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. once you've had a baby... And then you're really not supposed to be angry. And that's Mm. such a human part of your existence. So I'm, you Mm. know, I'm voting for the uh, birth doula, the traditional postpartum doula, and the listening lady. Can I have all three? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, all three of us need to be there. And that's, you know, my last point, you know, really quickly is that in other cultures like Native American culture um, tribes will say that women giving birth to a baby often are going up to heaven to receive their baby Hmm. and they need a group of gentle strong strong gentle women to bring them back to earth because you can get stuck in the heavens and um, a group not just one but a group of women who 
who are going to be strong and grounding and gentle as you go through this transition. So I say yeah to all three, you know, and and then some. I I have to say, I mean, as our time winds down today, and to me, the time went really quickly, um, let me know, let us know how people who want to know more about what you're doing can be in touch. Thank you. Well, right now, I am working on a website because, as you can tell, there's a lot that I want to say. So creating something that is easy, um, has been difficult for me. Easy to digest has been difficult for me. So the best way to get in touch is by email. My email address is thrivemotherlove at gmail.com. Terrific. And I know we will have you back on Mind Talk if you are willing to return. Of course, yes. I enjoyed this time together. And, and, um, and it's always so much to talk about when... For me, when talking about um, new mothers, and I say newborn mothers, I have a teacher in Australia, and that's her word that she she's coined, newborn mothers, because um, the creator becomes the created, and um, she too, just as her newborn is vulnerable in this world, she too is just as vulnerable. So I have more I would love to talk about. Wonderful. Uh, and we, newborn mothers. we will have you back talking about newborn mothers. And folks, thank you for joining us on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a mental health, medical health, or other professional. You can always listen to Mind Talk on demand at MYND. T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. I'd love to know where in the world you are as you're listening today, so do send an email to me at Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, then it's unacceptable. You take care.